All right, take your Bibles, please. Thank you, Joni. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. You'll remember that I kind of got away last uh, uh, week and we didn't preach from James because we had the Lord's Supper. And uh, so we go back and we pick up where we had left off for in James chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. And we're going to go through verse 12. And I'm preaching on this subject, taming the tongue. And... Uh, it says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is perfect, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although... They are so large and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So how great a forest a little... See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set so among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets the whole fire it sets on fire the course of nature and is set on and it is set on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no man can tame the tongue it is unruly and evil full of deadly poison with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus... No spring yields both salt and water and fresh. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, once again we come to you in prayer and we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that enables us to be everything that you call us to be. We thank you for this this morning and we pray, God, that you teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I'm going to talk about the meanest member of our church. You want to look around, see if you can figure out who it is? I think it might be Roy. Uh, mate, where is Phil? Phil snuck out. He knew I was going to talk about Oh, Oh, he's hiding, okay. Uh, I see Stephen back there. He's kind of... Obviously, I'm not talking about a person. If you look at verse 6 again, it says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members 
that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. I'm talking about the tongue. And uh, James says that the tongue is uh, fire and uh, a world of iniquity. And so here we go again. James is being so practical. That's the way he is. There was a problem in the early church, not only in the church that James was pastor, but we also find the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John also dealt with this same problem. The tongue was a problem in the early church, the church down through the ages, and the tongue is a problem in the church today. People have a hard time controlling their tongue. Husbands, wives, children, co-workers, church members. I don't know about you, but sometimes I say things that I wish I hadn't. I say things, and as soon as I say them, I wish I could take that back. But you can't. And uh, sometimes it's very hurtful. So this morning we're going to talk about the tongue. <laughs> I know that's a subject in everybody's mouth. It pertains to you and it pertains to me. It pertains to each and every one of us. James says a couple of things. Well, really, he says quite a few things. I'm going to deal with a couple of things this morning that he mentions in the passage that I just read. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about the power of the tongue, and I'm going to talk to you this morning about the problem that we have with the tongue. And the first thing, the power of the tongue, and, and, and let me just say, verses 1 and 2 kind of sets the stage of everything, and I want to be careful and make sure you understand what uh, James is saying here. He says, brethren, let many of you uh, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. James is not discouraging people there to be a teacher of the Word of God. He's not discouraging people from being preachers, but he wants to make sure that we understand that teachers and preachers are going to be held to a higher standard. And uh, there are... By definition, we're going to be standing before people or sitting before people and speaking to them about a whole host of different subjects. Now, early, or right after this, he says, uh, it's really difficult to say the right thing all the time. It's really difficult to never make a mistake in what you're saying. And he said, just understand, if God calls you to be a preacher or a teacher or a leader of some kind, just understand that uh, that responsibility is a serious responsibility. And you need to be careful about what you say and uh, how you say it and all of those kinds of things. And he sets up this whole platform there, and then he goes in, and he starts talking about the tongue. And we're going to look at the power of the tongue. And in verses 3 through 5, he tells us even that though the tongue 
is very small, it's very powerful, and it's very influential. Therefore, it should be handled very carefully. We need to take serious the things that we say and the way in which we say them. The tongue can give direction. It can also share delight, but can also bring destruction. It can destroy people's personalities or their confidence or who they are, their understanding of themselves. And James says for us to take very uh, much care in the way we speak to or about others. He says three things. He's a master illustrator. And the first thing he says, it's like a bit in a horse's mouth. Now, being in Bells, I understand that many of you grew up on farms or ranches, and many of you have ridden many times. I can remember a time when I was 21, I had moved out to California for a while, and I was in Southern California uh, in a little town called Los Feliz. It's right between Hollywood and I think Burbank or some other little town there. And there's a place in Burbank, and I, don't, I may have told you this story before, I'm not sure, but there's a place in Burbank called uh, Pickwick Stables. It's a really famous stables, and you can go there and go horseback riding and, and that kind of stuff. And, and I, uh, me and a bunch of friends went one time, and I was with a young lady that I wanted to impress, and we were going, and the guy asked, I mean, have you ridden before? And uh, are you a novice, or are you a casual rider, or are you a, uh, a, an accomplished rider? Well, I wanted to impress her, and so I said, I'm an accomplished rider. Understanding that I had never been on a real horse in my life. And, uh, but I did. When I was in the fifth grade, there was a little pony rink close to our house, and I went down there a few times, and I rode those ponies, and, you know, you get on them, and they lead you around, and that kind of thing. And, and so anyways, they put her on a very calm horse. They brought my horse out. And it was taller than me, I think, and, uh, or at least it seemed that way. And I finally got on it. She got on hers, and everybody got on their horses. And she just she couldn't get that horse to go anywhere. It just wouldn't move. And I said, here, let me show you what to do. I mean, I grew up watching westerns on television, so, so I knew what you were supposed to do. So I said, this is how you do it. And I said, I dug my heels in that horse's side. I said, yeah. And man, that horse took off. It was the longest ride I'd ever been on in my life. Finally, we came to a stop. And one of the people says, see that little metal thing in the horse's mouth? That's a bit. And that you can pull on that thing and the horse will stop. I didn't know that. And, uh, but after a while, I got that under control and, and that kind of thing. It's a little five or six inch piece of metal that is sticking, the reins come up to it, and, and uh, what James is saying is, is that little bit can control that big old horse, and the rider who knows what they're doing can make that horse do whatever they want to do. Hey, if you want to go to the left, he'll go to the left. If you want him to go to the right, he'll go to the right. If you want him to stop, he'll stop. If you want him to back up, He'll back up. That little bit controls that huge, giant animal. And what James is saying here 
is that the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. And it can control man's destiny or it can destroy man's destiny. Our words have tremendous influence on others. A preacher one time was sitting there talking to some friends and a young man came up to him and he said, "Uh, I just want to thank you for leading me to Christ. And the preacher looked at him and he didn't recognize him. He didn't know that young man. And he said, excuse me, I'm sorry, but I don't remember you. Can you tell me uh, how that happened and what happened and how I led you to Christ? And he said, well, I don't expect you to remember, remember me. As a matter of fact, you only said one thing to me, and it was several years ago. You were standing on a corner, and you were talking to a friend who happened to be my friend at the same time. And he said, I walked up to you and joined in on the conversation And you turned to me and you said, son, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I said, "Uh, no, I don't. And you said to me, he said, that's a shame because you're such a fine, young-looking young man. It's a shame that you don't know the Lord and you will spend eternity in hell. He said, I walked away from that and I was a little bit shocked that you were so blunt with me. But he said, those words just hung around me like a cloak. I couldn't get it out of my mind. It just resonated in my mind and in my soul and in my heart. And I couldn't get rid of it until one day I got on my knees and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life as our Lord and Savior. Uh, I, I, I know I've told you this story. I was in a revival one time. I was preaching a revival at the First Baptist Church of Mackville, Kentucky. It was a small country church, and it was uh, when I was in seminary, and we were having a great revival. God just blessed. And a 12-year-old little boy came forward in one of the services, and he asked Jesus Christ to come into his life as his Lord and Savior. He had come that night because, uh, I don't remember, we were having pizza or something, and he came to get the pizza, and he sat there during the revival service, and at the end he came forward and said, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And, and uh, I said, that's great. And, but because we didn't know who he was or anything about him, uh, the pastor and I the next day went out to visit them. And uh, they were in this little frame house way out in the hills of Kentucky. And I, I'm sure I told you this story, but the, the, the front door was just a screen door. You know, the, the, the solid door was open and there was just a screen door. And if you've ever seen those screen doors before, you know, you can knock on it and it just goes, you know. And, and so I knocked on that door and I heard a voice coming from within. Who is it? And uh, I said, my name is Russell Clemens. I'm preaching a revival out at First Baptist Church, Macville. And uh, this man came. He must have been 6'5" probably weighed 300 pounds. He had one of those little white shirts, you know, undershirts, you know, that just has a strap that goes, I don't know what you call them. But he just had hair everywhere. He looked like a gorilla. I mean, he was he was a hulk of a man. And he said, uh, what do you want? 
And I said, sir, I just, I, I, I just wanted to come and talk to you about your son making a decision for Christ. And I want to make sure that he understood. He had a can of Pat's Blue Ribbon in his hand. And uh, he kind of hit that down on the table. He said, you can come in and sit down there and I'll get my son. And the son came in sat down, sweet boy, and I just, I went over with him the plan of salvation, what the gospel was, and how I came to know, you know, how to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I could see that man, he was in the living room, but he could look over, he could look over and he could watch me, and he was listening to every word I said. He was making sure that I wasn't leading his son astray, and, uh, and finally, I came to understand that the boy knew exactly what he was doing. He was excited about being saved, and he wanted to be a part of the church and that kind of thing. So I was getting up to, to leave. And as I did, that guy stood up. And, I mean, he was, he was probably at least eight inches taller than me, and at the time I wasn't nearly as big as I am now. And so I was, he probably outweighed me 100 pounds. And he had this hair just everywhere. And he said, he said, preacher, I want to talk to you. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> he said, I heard you in there talking to my boy. He said, I got to listening to what you said. He said, preacher, can Jesus do for me what he did for my boy? I got tears in my eyes. And I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said, tell me how I can. And we got down on our knees in front of the couch in that living room. And that big hulk of a man prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into his life as his Lord and Savior. And folks, what I'm here to try to tell you is that the words that we speak have power and influence on those that we hear. It could be good results or it could be bad results, and so we need to be sure about what we say to other people. Our words can have a tremendous impact on the lives of others. The second illustration that he uses is the rudder of a ship. He says such a little rudder can change the direction of such a huge ship one that's driven by fierce winds and has to deal with uh, big waves and all of that kind of stuff, and but yet the little rudder is, uh, can guide and direct that ship because there's power and there's influence in the words that we say I, and the way that we say them. I, uh, I immediately, when I read of that, I... I thought of Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham was not the greatest preacher in the whole wide world. I mean, if you put preachers up, I can show you a lot of preachers that preach a better sermon than Billy Graham did. But man, God had his hand on Billy Graham, and he had a way of presenting the gospel in such a way that he literally led millions of people to faith in Jesus Christ, just by the words that he spoke and how God anointed 
of those words. And at the same time, I can think of a guy like Adolf Hitler who was a master communicator. And by the way that he spoke, he could whip crowds up into a frenzy and a whole nation into a maniacal uh, journey that led to millions being led into the gas chambers and murdered. The words that we speak can guide and direct, like a rudder of a ship, great multitudes of people. The third thing that he talked about, he compared it to, was a spark in dry grass. Or, uh, You know, we used to sing a song, you remember it, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And, uh, and that's what a spark will do in dry grass. Be careful how you use your tongue because it could become a torch. It doesn't have to be a great big fire. I mean, it, it can be just a small fire. You don't have to be the greatest communicator that the world has known. You don't have to be a Billy Graham or an Adolf Hitler. You can just start a little fire and see what great forests that it can consume. I, uh, uh, I always think about that little fire in that little barn in 1871. You remember the story? Miss O'Leary, she went out to uh, milk her cow that morning and she set her lantern down beside the cow and the cow w- kicked the lantern over and it started a fire in that little barn and of course there was hay and the barn was made of wood and it went up like kindling and there came caused the great fire of Chicago in 1871 that burned down 17,500 buildings. 17,500 buildings in that great fire of 1871 in the city of Chicago. Over 300 people, around 300 people were killed in that fire and it started by a cow kicking over a lantern in a little barn on the side of town. Like that fire, it starts small, but a few words used the wrong way can bring about great devastation. And what James is saying here is that it's kind of like, (coughs) excuse me, it's kind of like a chain reaction, just like that fire in Chicago. It started in that little barn. It spread to another building and then to another building and to another building and to another building till 17,500 buildings in the city of Chicago were destroyed in 1871. You could look it up on the internet. That's where I found that information. It's a chain reaction. Let me give you an illustration. Let's suppose... There is a man by the name of Mr. Jones. And he's a CEO of a great multinational corporation. He was at a luncheon at the country club. And he gets a call from his secretary 
oh, you have an appointment. There's somebody here to see you. And he looked at his watch. He said, oh, I didn't realize it was so late. So he jumped in his car and he got on the freeway and he was running, speeding, going 90 miles an hour to the, to the, getting back to the office so he can have that meeting. And uh, where's Ross? That little blue light started swirling behind him and pulled him over. That highway patrolman came over. And I said a highway patrolman, just a, a, a highway patrolman got, pulled him over and, uh, and gave him a tongue lashing, going 90 miles an hour through town. And I mean, just, uh, just wore him out and gave him a big, huge ticket. And then he turned around and left, and Mr. Jones was sitting in his car he said, that guy didn't have to talk to me that way. I had a meeting. I was an important meeting. I had a reason. I was being careful. There was nobody around me. He didn't have to give me that kind of a ticket and tongue lashing. He walked into his office and his, his sales supervisor came in and he said, Do you, did you get that contract signed? And the, and the sale said, no, sir, I haven't had a chance to do it. He says, I need that signed now. Don't you know that cost me a lot of money? Cost this company millions and millions and millions of dollars. You get out there and you get that contract signed. That sales supervisor walked out. said, he didn't need to talk to me that way. I didn't deserve that. All he does is sit in there in that big office and go to luncheons. I'm the one that does the work around this place. I'm the one that gets all of the contracts. I'm the one. I, I, he had no reason to talk to me that way. He walked out and he called his administrative assistant in. He said, did you get those five letters that I gave you to be typed to? Are they typed? And, and she said, well, no, sir. You told me to do this. other. Thing. I need those letters right now. You give me those letters. And, and I, want them, I want them on my desk so I can sign them. And she goes out and she gets a steno, uh, a, another secretary. And she says, you drop what you're doing. You come with me right now. You, you just sit out here. You do nothing. You come. You, we need to get these letters typed up. You need to help me. That secretary, she didn't need to talk to me that way. I mean, I'm willing to help her. Secretary goes home. First thing she does when she walks in the door, she sees little Johnny sitting, laying on the floor watching Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> she notices a tear in the knee of his jeans. What did you do? How did you get that tear in your jeans? You didn't need to. I mean, I paid good money for those jeans, and you got a tear in them? You go, to, you go up to your room, you get no TV tonight, you go to bed without supper tonight. Old Johnny goes upstairs, and about that time, the old Tomcat comes through. Boom! The old Tomcat. Now, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier if Mr. Jones just wouldn't have gone over to that secretary's house and kicked the cat himself and uh, <laughs> cut out all the middle people? That's what I think. Folks, listen to me. It starts a chain reaction. What we say, we may not even know the extent that it uh, has the, of the effect that it has on the people that it touches. We need to understand 
We need to control like a fire that starts small. A few words said the wrong way can bring about great destruction. The tongue is like a fire, the Bible says. It could be good and also can be bad. Anybody here like sushi? Not me. I don't. I'm just telling you. It's all right if you like sushi. That's fine. I don't want to eat raw fish. Good. I'm glad. But you take a nice fillet of salmon, put a little butter on it, salt and pepper, uh, some lime juice, lemon juice, maybe throw a few sprigs of of, uh, rosemary, put it in a hot skillet. Man, that's good eating. That's good eating. What I'm saying is this, fire can cook and fire can destroy. Words can bless and words can destroy. Words can warm the heart to love or inflame the heart to hatred. James says, behold how great a forest a little fire kindles. Remember Smokey the Bear? Told you to be careful about throwing cigarette butts out the window or making sure your campfire was out good when you go camping and remember his immortal words remember only you can prevent forest fires folks listen to me only we can prevent the devastation that can be caused by a spoken word be careful how you use your tongue it has more power than you realize The first point was the power of the tongue. The second point is the problem we have with the tongue. And here's the problem. Many Christians face today this thing about controlling their tongue. And the problem is we have inconsistency when it comes to controlling our tongue. I'm talking about people that are saved, that love the Lord, but they're just inconsistent when it comes to their living and their speech. James found it true in the early church. It's been true down through the ages, and it's true in the church today. I want us to look at verses 8 through 11. It says, But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or in the same manner in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? There thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. What he's talking about there is an inconsistency in the way we use our speech, our tongue. There's some inconsistencies are not possible in the physical world. That's what he's saying there when he's giving those illustrations when he talks about uh, uh, a fig tree doesn't bear olives or 
salt water doesn't come out of a fresh water well, if the, if the spring doesn't have, uh, if, if, if it's not possible in the physical world, then it's not proper in the spiritual world. If a water is salt, the well is salt. If a fruit is fig, the tree is fig. It's just, and the Bible says anything other than that is just not possible in the physical world and it's not proper in the spiritual world. It just ought not to be. That's what he says in the middle of verse 10, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. If it's improper for you to say something to somebody's face, you ought not say it behind their back. It's improper for you to come here on Sunday and praise God and then leave here and criticize your brother or sister in Christ once you're out of this building. James is saying that ought not to be. Little girl was hugging her daddy's neck and as she was holding he was holding her up and she had her arms around her neck and just hugging her daddy and she happened to look across the room and she saw her brother there and she knew she was mad at her brother. So while she was hugging her daddy's neck, she was sticking her tongue out at her brother. But her mother just happened to be going by and saw that. And she said, you get your arms from around your daddy's neck. He says, you can't love on your daddy while you're hating on your daddy's son. That's pretty much what John says. John says, if you say you love your brother, uh, you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. You're not doing what you ought to be doing, and it's just not true. And you say to me, well, <clears throat> folks, listen, there's no sweeter place in the entire world than a Christian church where the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God's love permeates the place through one another and we I'm, I'm telling you this is the sweetest place in all of the world where we just love on one another in Jesus name and what a great fellowship but folks listen to me listen to me you start gossiping and you start backbiting and you start talking slanderous things about other people and then all of a sudden that beautiful, wonderful fellowship is filled with strife and James is dealing with that and, and he's saying it ought not to be so. You say, Brother Russell, who's doing all that? Who's doing all that talking? No one, I hope. You ever heard of preventative medicine? This is preventative medicine. This is trying to teach you something before it happens. And, and you say, well, you seem awfully worked up about this. Well, that's because James was worked up. Folks, I'm just preaching through the book of James. That's, that's where we are right now. It's there, so I preach it. Somebody came to a preacher one time 
and said, Preacher, are you talking about me in that sermon? And he said, No, lady, I was just shooting into a hole. Now, if you were in that hole, I can't help that. <laughs> but this is, a, this is something I know. There are people who are Christians, who are good workers, who uh, love the Lord and love the Lord's church, but struggle with this inconsistency in their Christian life that sometimes they let their tongue overweigh their common sense and they say things and hey I've been guilty of that too and they say things and once they say it they wish they hadn't said it it's damaging to the body and it's deadly to the cause of Christ and James is giving a lesson and a warning about the power and the problem that we find with the tongue. And you say, well, pastor, then what shall we do? Well, remember what it says in verse 8, that no man can tame his tongue. That's true. No man can tame his tongue. And so you're setting up a paradox there, pastor. You're setting up a problem that uh, we can't solve. There, it's a no-win situation. Do you hate no-win situations as badly as I do? I can't stand it when somebody puts me into a situation that there's absolutely nothing that I can do about it. You're setting up a paradox. It does seem like that, doesn't it? It says that you ought not, you've got to control your tongue, but then it says no man can tame the tongue. Here's the answer. No man can tame his tongue. You're not by yourself. No man can tame his tongue. But Jesus can. Amen? Jesus can. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. In other words, what is present in the root of the tree will be present in the fruit of the tree. What is present in the well will also be present in the water. Say, he then says, no man can tame his tongue, but God can. If we would control our tongue, what must we do? We must have Jesus Christ in our heart. We must yield ourselves to the control of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. When James says the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth, he recognized the one who controls the reins. When he says the tongue is like a rudder on a ship, he recognizes the pilot that controls the helm. When he says it is like a fire in dry grass, he recognizes the one who can send the rain. Where he says the tongue is like a rudder, where the tongue is like a uh, bit, 
where the tongue is like a fire. He knows who the one is that can control every one of those things. The only way we can ever have peace from our tongue is to have peace in our heart. And if we want to have peace in our heart, if we want to have peace in our home, if we want to have peace in our church, we need to know the Prince of Peace, who is Jesus Christ, and make him Lord of our lives. The only way we're going to control our tongue is to give the Holy Spirit control of our heart. And uh, then God can use you in powerful ways that will impact and influence the lives of people for all eternity. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that you do offer grace and mercy. I thank you, God, that you give forgiveness when we so often fall short of your glory. I pray, God, that you be with us this morning. I pray, God, that you be with each and every person here, Lord, that you would uh, allow us to know peace that passeth understanding. Father, that we not only know your grace, but we offer it to those that we come in contact with. Father, help us to be uh, uh, a fountain that flows fresh water and sweet water and healing water. And Father, that we might have an influence on others that would be positive and be a blessing to those that we come in contact with. Oh God, we ask you, Lord, to be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen.